You like movies about gladiators? Those men wanted to have sex with me! Great Scott! Nice Bieber. Cinderella boy. Rambo is a pussy. Come with me if you want to live. Hello, and welcome to Retro Ramble. I'm Charlie McGee. I'm George McGee. And this week, we're bringing a special edition of this podcast for a special person, the recent passing of Sir Roger Moore. Now, for George and I, Bond has been a very big part of our lives, and we are definitely going to get around to covering each of the films in their entirety and giving them the respect that is due. All of the films? Um, eventually. <laughs> but... Such an important Bond. Like everybody else, we discovered Bond through a combination of our dad's VHS collection or with them being shown on, like it is this weekend because we're recording on a bank holiday, on ITV. And I don't know what to say. I guess I wasn't expecting him to be the first Bond to pass and I'm just very sad. He was such a charismatic guy and that's, that's why it's so important to us to dedicate an entire episode to him. So I'm very moved by this news and I know George is and that's why... Today, we're going to be looking back at his career. George has been doing some research on the other roles. I really, to be completely honest, I know him a little bit from The Saint, but mainly my input will be on his time as the great James Bond. So, George, where, where do you start with something like this? Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, I think yeah, it's safe to say that our memories are all based around the character of Bond. I can... I've don't think I've ever seen a more than five minutes of a, an, an episode of The Saint... I very recently stumbled across an episode of The Persuaders, so I watched that, and uh, it was enjoyable in a sort of, you know, 70s kind of sort of UK series at the what time. What was The Persuaders about? They were just, they were kind of like chances. They were, so it was Roger Moore and Tony Curtis, and they were, well, I think they were both sort of like millionaire playboys that were solving crimes and almost a bit like mercen- I don't think they're mercenaries but yeah it was a bit like the saint they would and a bit like Jack Reacher they would sort of find themselves in random situations and help people out but it was a very light sort of happy-go-lucky it's two- kind of like a two-man A-team yeah t- two charming guys yeah solving sort of crimes I suppose I think anyway I, I, it was hard to tell from the episode I was watching um, but I've uh, I actually read his uh, his autobiography a few years ago the amazingly titled My Word is My Bond well yeah I like it could have called it More Bond <laughs> yeah and yeah it's a great read it's he's a very he's a great raconteur and I was uh, gutted when I heard the news the other day because uh, I was actually planning to see him. He was on a tour last year, sort of towards the end of the year, and it was like an evening with Roger Moore. And effectively, he was going around various sort of venues, and he was just being interviewed, and he was just recounting stories. And sadly, I, due to work commitments, I couldn't be there. And yeah, now, obviously, I'm, I'm kicking myself because that would have been sort of obviously the last chance, well, to see the man in the flesh. And yeah, he's a great raconteur. And as I really... Um, do heartily recommend you check out uh, his books. He's written two Bond books. So there's his autobiography, which is uh, My Word is My Bond. But he also did, um, I think, for the time, for all the anniversaries around Skyfall, he released a book uh, called Bond on Bond, where he reviews all of the Bond films. Like so I that, still need to check that out, yeah. Um, which is great. I mean, it's a... It's just a few anecdotes here and there, and it's yeah, it's great to see his his thoughts on the the legacy of Bond, all the different actors. 
Um, but yeah, in terms of who Roger Moore was, um, he was uh, born and raised in Stockwell. In, in not far from where I used to live in London, which is quite bizarre because of, you know, you hear his, his accent. And I think that was something that was created. His sort of South London sort of Cockney accent was, was uh, filed down during his drama school days. Miss Anders, I didn't recognise you with the clothes on. He ended up being uh, at RADA, but I think he was introduced into acting via a, a film director. His um, Bizarrely, his dad was a, a policeman and was investigating a robbery at a film director's house, got chatting to the film director and realised his son was struggling with his career and introduced them. So he sort of fell into it very randomly. Took one look at Roger and just went, oh my God, he's so handsome. And look at that <laughs> handsome man and his amazing eyebrows. <laughs> Women want him, men want to be I, the, the director probably thought, I want to sleep with that man. <laughs> um, he had a bunch of sort of like as a struggling any struggling actor did on various sort of uh, studio sort of extra roles like background extras but he because as you say of his strong looks of his you know his his immense charm he he really um he sort of got um noticed by various different people and whilst he sort of in his early days he started off as a, a knitwear model so modeling uh, sweaters cardigans which uh, gotta start somewhere i think both um i think it was michael kane because they, they, they used to friends. rip it out of him yeah they, they called him the big knit um <laughs> was his nickname and i think roger referred it to himself uh, that as well um, but yeah, he uh, he ended up in a bunch of TV roles before uh, The Saint or The Persuaders. He started off in Ivanhoe, which was a kids' TV show uh, in the UK, so of a historical romp sort of series. And he did that for quite a long time, and that was enough to get him noticed uh, in America, because I think they did some filming over in America for it. And I, I never knew this, or I must have forgotten about it in... Um, my word is my bond. Um, but he was uh, a recurring guest star on the Western uh, series Maverick. Of course, with uh, James Garner, that, yes, that one. Yeah. Yes, with James Garner. And he was the Maverick brothers' long-lost cousin. I think it was Bo Maverick, the one that had an English accent. <laughs> we need to write him in somehow. Somehow. <laughs> so, yeah, he cropped up on that a few times. And I think that was obviously getting got him, really boosted his awareness in the, sa- uh, in the States, um, which then led on to the saint yeah again as we've said we're not really familiar with the tv show all i know from the tv show is apparently he had a look he had a like, facial expression that he did and that apparently was a problem i don't know if you read that jane seymour yes. was it in that yeah i think it was. it was in that that he had to really concentrate on not making the saint signature look to the camera yes um but no apart from that and that so so Val Kilmer exploit of the 90s. I um, really enjoyed that film at the I time. I enjoyed it. He, he's a race car. Nobody runs him. Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer did a great a, job. In a variety of bad disguises. Just a weak third act, if I remember. I think yes. It starts off really strong and just. Yeah, I don't think there, was, like a, there was even an obligatory cameo from Sir Rog in that film, if I'm right in thinking. Maybe there is, and we just missed it. Maybe. No, no, you would have known no. that. You're, you're, you're that you, were, you were a geek back then, George. You that, that's true. That's you would true. Have known. And apparently on The Saint, he even uh, directed a few episodes. Uh, on The Persuaders, he actively produced it. And uh, at the time, 
uh, he was the highest paid TV star. So he got a million pounds for the first series of The Persuaders. So wow. He was quite a... He was a, a big established star before he even was uh, cast as James Bond. So he kind of invented the whole term of David Schwimmer money. <laughs> yeah, David Schwimmer money. <laughs> My name's Bond. James Bond. So yeah, on to uh, Bond. So he was um, actually on the producers' radar. So the Bond producers, uh, for those who don't know, was uh, Albert Broccoli and uh, Harry Saltzman. And they were good friends with Roger Moore. He used to play cards with them and uh, would see them socially. And so they were actively after him from early on. And apparently they were trying to cast him they were scouting for locations for the man with the golden gun which was going to be the first post connery post connery yeah. after you only live twice so they were looking at uh, locations in cambodia but then roger couldn't commit because the saint of his tv commitments with the saint that took off yeah uh, and then they scrapped the whole idea of doing man with the golden gun because there was some political unrest in cambodia so, because of Roger, because of that, they moved on to On Her Majesty's Secret Service with George Lysenby, <laughs> uh, the Australian chocolate model. And then after that, obviously, with, well, that is, it's a bigger sort of story about what happened with Lazenby. But as I was saying to you the other day, I, when growing up, I always thought that Lazenby was sacked from Bond because yeah, for he, not being good enough but it wasn't not, about that yeah. no he he left because he didn't think Bond was was going to last he thought it was it was the you know sort of the area the sort of the time uh, 69 70 battle the bomb everyone against the bomb and he grew love, his hair he grew yeah, his beard and Woodstock and yeah he thought Bond wasn't going to last uh, and obviously he's been kicking himself ever since but back to Roger so um, they uh, they tried to get after Honor Majesties and, and Lazenby walked they tried to get Roger again and this time he was locked into the Persuaders so they went over to Sean Connery's house with a suitcase full of lots of money uh, for <laughs> and a toupee <laughs> and, and a new improved toupee for diamonds are forever. <laughs> so, but then I just hope that brief briefcase was delivered by Mr. Kidd and Mr. Winch, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Connery. So then we we let's launch into his uh, career as Bond. So. Uh, 1973 Live and Let Die great uh, debut film there's so many things to remember from that towards the end of the film but for me I love the fact that Bond's in New York there's that killing with the wing mirror yep. the wing mirror gun and there's that whole thing about seeing Mr. Big in, uh, in uh, as uh, we say as in the, the black exploitation era yeah uh, it goes without saying with flares with, <laughs> with all the Bond films they capitalise on what's popular at the time and they feed that in it's, kite surfing <laughs> yeah it's, they, they, they do they capitalise on a current trend so so with with Live and Let Die, there was a huge amount of yeah black exploitation films out at the time. And whilst the elements of the novel, uh, I think it's I don't think any of it's based in Harlem, but it's based is I think it's all based in Jamaica. Um, yeah, but they do go to New York. It's just the big start. yeah yeah. But yeah, so obviously it capitalised on on the whole black exploitation thing, and I think. Again, yeah, people were sharing on Facebook sort of the best Roger Moore quotes, and, and one of them uh, from, from Live and Let Die was, take this honky outside and waste him. And he goes, is that a bad thing? <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, I think, you know, for for Roger's whole sort of persona as, as James Bond, he had just that unflappability in the face of danger, whereas you would see, you know, 
Connery frowning, sweating, you know, whether it's, you know, having a spider climbing into his bed in Dr. No or a laser going up as Jaxie. Um, <laughs> and, you know, you had Pierce groaning and wincing. and <sighs> it, it just seemed like Roger was never really, truly, and excuse me, shaken. Um, yeah, his hair was fantastic. At he all was, times. Yeah. And I don't know, I think that is subconsciously fed into to my manner to always be as charming always to treat even dire situations with a smile you know to yeah to stay positive kill people with kindness stiff upper lip yes indeed um but just to say also on uh, live and let die there's i there's so much in that film that is a classic i remember sitting on the sofa that gran was taking care of us and she says all you're doing is you keep rewinding the same bit over and over again and it was the speedboat chase that is such a good speedboat and chase i just though. kept it she went you're just watching the same five i was like yeah but it's great it's great and that was vhs at its best and there's the bit with butterhook and the the cro- him running across yeah, crocodile. R- running across the crocodiles great stunt poor that, stunt man <laughs> yeah well i think that was a guy that actually owned the crocodile farm yeah it was actually called ross kananga really uh, yeah oh. so with but it is one, a real stunt so yeah it was the guy that owned the crocodile farm ran across those crocodiles um, in he, some great flares and a Roger wig in a safari suit damn that man look, made <laughs> he pulled off that look yeah that's, it's got some great moments in Love and Light Died that speed gadgets I got obsessed with the, the, the gadgets there was a watch with, a, with the a, mag- a saw on it and the magnetic it can deflect bullets it can attract a stuff. spoon from the other side of the room yeah. that's one seriously powerful magnet <laughs> lady zip yeah on Hudra yeah that and Love it or hate it, you've got introduced the the sidekick character that survived two movies, Sheriff uh, J W Pipper. Yeah, because he's in the, the, the man with the golden gun as well. Yes, yeah. uh, so the redneck sheriff. My cousin Speedboat. <laughs> it's, but it's such a good scene. There's so much that goes on. It isn't. It is quite long as well. But it's it's a, probably a little bit overlong. But it's uh, yeah, it's a great. I mean, you've obviously got Baron Samady, a great character there. Um, so then you move on to 1974, The Man with the Golden Gun, which again is capitalising on the whole kung fu movie movement, Bruce Lee, that sort of thing, the Hong Kong uh, kung fu movies. You can't talk about The Man with the Golden Gun without talking about the brilliant villain that is Nick Knack. I mean, uh, Scaramanga, <laughs> Christopher Lee. Come, come, Mr Bond, you disappoint me. You get as much fulfilment out of killing as I do, so why don't you admit it? I think he'd been sort of uh, want of chased by the Bond producers for a while to play a villain, and he's perfect foil. In all honesty, The Man with the Golden Gun is a pretty poor film, but it has great performances, great banter between uh, Roger Moore and Christopher Lee. Very much um, good nemesis and uh, protagonist against each other. You get the feeling that it's also, I think, what Austin Powers or everybody takes the the mickey out of in that is that James Bond is such a good spy that isn't this the one where he gets 007 etched on a bullet and sends it to MI6? Yes, Probably postmarked to James Bond in MI6. Yeah. Not too secret. But yeah, hello, Mr. Bond. Hello, Mr. Bond. And knick-knack, Tabasco. Some great moments in that film. Um, lasers. Some, <laughs> more lasers. Uh, it's got the great uh, bridge stunt where they, they 360 barrel roll the car. Yeah. Still um, taking taking stunts to new heights. Yeah. And yeah, it's got some, some brilliant Roger moments. Um, I say, yeah, Sh- Sheriff J.W. Pepper reappears. 
uh, Roger knocks a small Thai boy off off a bridge. Mister, Mister, fifty bar, fifty bar. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, Roger would uh, later go to um, apologise profusely for that scene because he became actually in his later years a ambassador for UNICEF and a massive uh, campaigner for them. And yes, and a big a, pacifist. Yeah. And well, yeah, that's the the bizarre thing. Apparently, he had a phobia of guns, <laughs> <laughs> playing James Bond, and he hated guns. Um, but yeah, I think I forgot to mention that there was a lot put in place when he came on board as Bond to differentiate it from Connery. Obviously, there was the things like the humour, but uh, I think in Live and Let Die, he didn't. He had a, like a Magnum instead yeah. of the, the PPK. He smoked a cigar instead of cigarettes. I'm, I'm not sure if he does it throughout all his Bond films, but in Live and Let Die, he never orders a martini. Okay. Um, and I think he yeah, drank whiskey. So there was various things done in place to, to differentiate, say, yeah, there's a, you know, so, oh, Connery did it better. And he wasn't demanding black people to bring him his shoes. Yes, um, though there probably is some slightly racist tones in Live and Let Die and The Man with the Golden Gun as well with, uh, yes, the the Chinese, the Thais, uh, Hong Kong, all that jazz. Generally. Um, moving on to, I think we would probably say is, Arguably his best, The Spy Who Loved Me. But James, I need you. So does England. The only criticism I think you can ever level at it is that it's a retelling of a... It's You Only Live Twice. It's You Only Live Twice retold, but apart from that, we we were saying we're recording this on a bank holiday. It's on, it's queued up, we're going to watch it tonight. Oh, definitely. definitely I love that film. The music... Disco Bond. Yeah, Disco Bond. It was awesome. Uh, it's got to be. It's it's one of his. It's one of his best. Whereas... It is. I uh, I was lucky enough to see um, in London at Somerset House, which is this huge old I think naval building with a big courtyard. Uh, Channel Four does screenings over the summer, so you can come and bring sort of blankets, food, drink, and just watch a film under the stars uh, on a massive screen. And they did Spy Who Loved Me, and the guy who was curating the that uh, session that summer uh, introduced Spy Who Loved Me. And he said. People ask me why have I picked Spy Who Loved Me, and I just retorted, "Why not pick the Spy Who Loved Me?" And it was so great watching that film with an audience. Obviously, you know, with so many fans, you've got you know watching that film with that. It's got one of the best openings. Obviously, the the par- the Union Jack parachutes. Yeah, everyone was applauding. Who uh, imagine? You know, there was that to go back to the Empire Group when people said if you could go back and watch a film in the cinema I would love to have been in the cinema the, to, to see that at a premiere oh my god he's going to, to die. die and then pulls the parachute out I mean, mean the Union Jack parachute yeah and yeah it's, it's probably sad to think that if that film was made today that shot would probably be in the trailer <laughs> yeah yeah it would be they'd uh, ruin it marketing would ruin it out of fear yeah, yeah. and we're, we're no strangers uh, to uh, to alan partridge we we slip into alan partridge regularly on this podcast and there is that brilliant sketch of alan reenacting the whole opening of spy who loved me and the title song <laughs> um, so yeah um but yeah that's it's a it's a great film it's got it's got jaws it's got the gorgeous barbara back 
Um, Gorgeous. And also kind of on the same sort of level. She's the Russian equivalent of him. Yes. She's She's seen the blueprints. It introduces Jaws. But she's still a woman, and she it, still gets captured at the end of the film. Yes, she does become the damsel, unfortunately, at the end. Triple X. Triple X. But there's so much... I love the exoticness of that film. I love the fact that they go to so many different places. They're in Egypt. And the car. Yeah, it's the car, the, car. the Lotus. There's the opening. There's the... And there's that brilliant... The helicopter chase with the really hot girl in it. Yeah. Doesn't she pop up in another Bond? I think I read this recently. Possibly. The girl in the helicopter. Um, and then, obviously, Drax. The, the oh, no, no, that's uh, Moonrake. Um, What's his name? What's his name, the bad guy? Uh, Strongberg. Strongberg, yeah. He, and, and, obviously, the introduction of, of Jaws. This is Jaws. He kills people. No, I mean, the, there's so the, much in The it. lift over the shark pool. It's yeah. got loads of the cliches, but, again, it's that... It's that, yeah, that Bond bingo. It's getting all that right sort of formula in place. Yeah, it's, yeah I see. The third act's great. It's a, it is a retelling of You Only yeah. Live Twice, storming the the tanker, but I really enjoy it. And then there's the whole thing of them... The, arm, the private armies facing yeah, the off. the private armies facing off. Yeah. It's, even, even right to the very end, like the um, him being in the the escape thing and both, somehow, both MI6, the head of MI6 and the head of the KGB are both, and Desmond Llewellyn, are all waiting on, on the right place on the sub. Yeah. Bond, what do you think you're doing? Keeping the British hand up, sir. Uh, moving on, 1979, Moonraker. Well, no, not a... I was, I was chatting about this with a good friend of mine and fellow Bond fan, uh, Simon, who was saying um, he, he loves Moonraker just because, yeah, it's not a... a particularly great film, but there's some great moments in it. You've obviously got the whole subplot with Jaws becoming good yeah. you've got a fantastic villain with uh, with Drax yeah you know see that he's a very famous French actor yeah was he Mike M- Michel Longsdale or something yeah there? but no but he's, in, he's been like if you look on cinema you know 60s, 70s, 80s yeah. cinema he's in everything so it's kind of like um Christopher Lee? Yeah the, the Christopher French Christopher and also, Lee and also the guy who was picked for um Quantum Solace another was oh yeah, who uh, lived on my street in Paris? Oh, uh, Mathieu, Mathieu uh, Omerich. Yeah, another big. Yeah. So these guys have made their way in friendship. Yeah, good, good sort of solid actors. actors yeah. yeah, but for me, for Moonraker, one of the reasons I kind of enjoy it is because it's kind of the last one I picked to watch, and for that reason, it's probably the Bond film I've watched the least, and therefore I kind of I don't know it as well. So it has. Yeah, that, well, that I, I forget how long it takes them to get into space. There's yeah. that whole bit in. In Venice with yeah. the inflatable gondola and the double-taking pigeon <laughs> and the fight in a glass factory or don't make, don't make any noise yeah, yeah. there's the, the whole bit in Rio on the cable car up to the you know Sugarloaf Mountain see I forget, I forget there, there's, that, there's, yeah. there's some great sequ- and as that's all carnival and stuff like that so it's got some great moments in but then yeah it turns into again capitalising on what was popular it's a Star Wars rip-off yeah pew 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 <laughs> um, again great on uh, uh, sound on effects Gold, on Golden Knight and yeah great sound effects what else Bond films do is that sort of reaction that sort of flip flopping so when they get themselves when they go too extreme a little bit silly they, they flip back again so after the silliness of Moonraker and I think that was sort of noted critically even though I think it was still quite a good big hit box office wise 
they went back to basics and went for the, I think probably uh, Moore's grittiest role in For Your Eyes Only definitely the darkest for me uh, there's um, so much of, of that film despite that I like. the ridiculous opening with the man who can't be called Blofeld for legal reasons oh, yeah. weird, Mr. Mudd <laughs> on a helicopter round Batsy Power Station or something it's Birmingham it's filmed in but I'm thinking is it, it Battersea Park it's I think it's filmed it's just such a random scene that it just is out of kilter with the rest of the film yeah again I think it's another re- it's a remake of from Russia Love they, instead of it, it's like a detecting machine it's like, yeah. it's like a lector sort of and almost sort of you only live twice as well but it's a great I really like Fiora's only I think it's a lesser scene bond it's interesting to see a more dramatic side to to more to see him veering into Connery slash Craig territory being a bit of a bastard when he kicks that guy's car off the edge of the cliff that whole scene the fact that the timing of that scene's done really well because they st- there's that thing it starts off on the docks with uh, the guy with the pistachio pistachio nuts um, is he called pistachio I don't know I can't remember uh, it, it escapes me at this moment but it starts off in the, it starts off in the night and then you just like but hang on I can remember thinking ahead he runs up the steps and it's actually dawn yeah, it's, it's becoming a dawn, dawn. raid yeah. and then you've got seeing Roger Moore running because you've always made a joke about Roger Moore running he, and Roger Moore taking the steps Roger yeah he runs sort of like bizarrely with his knees locked together and he sort of crouches down you used to uh, say like an old lady yeah he runs like an old lady <laughs> a bit like Seagal a bit like a fat old lady yeah um, but yeah seeing him it's probably a stuntman um, going up those steps somewhere in Greece and it's getting slightly lighter and lighter and lighter yeah. but the can the um, you know the continuity is done really well and you've got that whole uh, great tense sequence at the end where they're climbing up yeah that monastery type thing Um, again I just really remember yeah the sound effects in that film were really good like really good sort of foley work like the sort of the the rock sort of crampon sort of the pick things that oh yeah of course in. when he's scaling up and there's that guy coming down doesn't knocking. he sort of scale up using his shoelace yes he has to use point. his shoelace at one point <laughs> I'll put that in the back pocket in case they ever need it yeah <laughs> um, but yeah they I think they stripped down the, the, the gadgets in that one because yeah it was just getting a little bit too silly but then I think Again, because yeah, his car get, his car gets blown up at the very start. As yeah, well. the Lotus. Isn't the Lotus, because yeah. the guy tries to break into it and it just explodes. Is that when that someone's having a very sexy party? Yeah, very sexy, <laughs> sexy. <laughs> <laughs> um, some more disco there. Then yeah, it flips up, flops again back into silliness with Octopussy. I probably have seen probably uh, Octopussy the least in uh, in most recently. I have I we talk about so I watched as a kid. I we watched, watched it loads. I remember the, we watched the first twenty minutes. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the, <laughs> that bit with the plane at the beginning is amazing. Great opening where he's got the yeah he's the Cuban general and then the jacket that reverses the the plane that comes out the horse box. Yeah, it's a great opening. And then but he ends looks up, so comfortable in the role. And that ends up with him as dressed as Bubbles the clown or something. Yeah. That, that, that film fell apart but it showed that he was invested in the franchise yeah he, he realised he was always very comfortable in the role he didn't look like he was phoning it in like a lot of people have accused Connery of in his later years you know in Diamonds or You Only Live Twice and Craig pretty much anything after <laughs> Casino Royale yeah he just doesn't seem very happy at all but yeah I've, there's, there's again yeah, there's probably moments and I think this goes is a strength of more as an actor that he was 
Yeah, he was very self-deprecating. He knew he wasn't the best actor. I mean, I think he famously said, I have two acting styles. I have the left eyebrow and the right. Um, <laughs> But he always made a... He was a compelling watch. He was always a compelling presence on screen. So if the film was poor, you could still get it through on his performance. Yeah, I mean, talking about those, that North Sea hijack film, Folks, uh, whatever it is. Oh, so one of his films that he did yeah. around the same time. Yeah, he, has a, he, he doesn't need a license to kills even in the trailer. We'll put it on the blog. It's hilarious. Yeah, so we, we were scrolling through looking at his non-Bond work and there's yeah, one film called North Sea Hijack, which was made around the same time as uh, For Your Eyes Only. And he's an... And, Counter terrorism. Part of a counter terrorism. Yeah. And the, the, it's a classic old school 80s trailer where it gives away the whole plot in about five you even minutes. See, you even see, like, well, I don't even want to spoil it for people who haven't seen it, but let's just say you see a crucial element of Act 3 happening. Yes. Um, but it also has James Mason. James Mason. No, it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a funny film. So, yeah, we'll, we'll put that on the blog. So, um, and then his Bond tenure finishes with Love It or Hate It, it's a bit of a guilty pleasure. Oh, we love it. We, we, we fucking love that film. A view to a kill. Commas on everyone. It's, yeah, it's... Uh, the thing is, uh, ironically, A View to a Kill was the first Bond that I saw. Uh, I remember... We had recorded, as we did in in those days, it had been recorded off telly, it had been on ITV the night before, too late for my, you know, past my bedtime. So I remember rushing back from school to watch it on VHS. And we were just completely unaware of... His age. Of, of how, <laughs> yeah, of how old he was. It like, wasn't until later on that we figured out what the hell. Who's, <laughs> who's this old guy perving over, you know, w- women in their 20s and <laughs> running around like an action Daisy. star? Daisy. Hello, Daisy. Yes, well, you get your clothes on. I'll buy you an ice cream. And there's actually, there's a very good book uh, that I read recently that is all about that, um, that whole sort of growing up in an era of discovering Bond in an era of, you know, those bank holiday showings of VHS, of, you know, what was available in the local uh, video shop called Catching Bullets. Uh, It's Memoirs of a Bond fan by a guy called Mark O'Connell. And it's very uh, touching, very funny. And it's all about, he actually falls in love with, with Roger Moore. And again, he's that sort of like, he watches them all out of sequence and he, and a bit like us, he grew, grew up with, Roger. Only Connery and Moore. Well, yeah, but Moore was his bond. And I was like, hang on, there's another guy doing it? Who's yeah. this other old... Who's yeah. the Scottish guy? Um, and, yeah, that was... For, for a long time, that was... Even when the Dalton films came out, you know, you and I were saying this, we were still watching all the, the Moore ones. It on, was always... Yeah, when on, Dalton was in the cinema, Moore was on the telly. You know, so it was it was a big, big... Comp- it was very hard to beat that. Yeah, and I think... I mean, we, we have a lot of love for Dalton. I, I may go as far as arguing he's he's the best Bond. Um, Living but, Daylights is definitely top five for uh, me. Yeah, me too. And, I th- you know, he was doing what Daniel Craig was doing now, you know, 25 years later that it was that sort of thespian take yeah jumping away from the the whole broad strokes that that roger moore brought 
Yeah, I don't think there's anything more to say about A View to Kill because I think we are more than likely to cover it. We, I depth. think it'll probably be one of the first ones we go to because of our love of Christopher Walken. There's, there's a lot of comedy value in that. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, there's going to be some banter, so don't be surprised if A View to a Kill is... Crops up sooner or later. What a title, just so much to say. Anyway, so... Um, so, yeah, and then I think, I suppose, um, moving on, we, we briefly talked about, so in terms of other films he did so um you talked about north sea hijack cannonball run uh, I, of course yeah he popped he, up in that playing a man who had surgery to look like roger moore slash james bond so <laughs> again you know time, aware self-aware yeah he roger was always more than happy to send himself up um i really want to check out one film he did called the wild geese which is like a sort of war movie with richard harris and richard burton that's been recommended to me as well um, so we should, like we should a sit a, down and watch a, a boy's own sort of type thing yeah. um so yeah there's that to check out apparently according to uh, roger moore his best performance that he thought the performance he was most happy with was a film he did in the 70s called uh, The Man Who Haunted Himself which I haven't seen which it's is, meant to be batshit crazy yeah we definitely got yeah, to check where, that out after a few shandies where is a man who's being hunted by his doppelganger so sounds interesting uh, and then after Bond he really didn't do much he was mainly sort of yeah probably sending himself up in celebrity appearances doing a lot of charity work yeah he, he as, as I said he became a, a, a goodwill ambassador for UNICEF he was um referred to by Audrey Hepburn and he did a huge amount for UNICEF uh, right up until his, uh, his his last days when uh, did he receive his knighthood I think it was 2002 yeah um, but that must be linked with his charity work yes and, yeah. yeah obviously that was um, linked and, but apparently he was very humble and he always insisted and unlike some people <coughs> Ben Kingsley um, <laughs> he always told people don't call him sir drop the sir he was a very much uh, an everyman and yeah, from all the obituaries and articles that have come out in the past few days, not a single person has a bad word to say about him. He seemed like he was, you know, a legend in, in he was a true gentleman in real life as well as on screen. Yeah, I think, and you know, I think we're probably wrapping up here in terms of my final thoughts on uh, Sir Roger, or, or he sometimes says, please call me Charlie. But I think that, you know, Connery, th- they are all Bond to us. They are larger than life. They're more than characters. But out of all of them, he's the one who, the difference between his character and him in real life, it's very hard. The, the, the lines are blurred. Yeah, the lines are very blurred. I mean, I think I was that review that you passed on to me about how even as I've gone through my life, my opinion of the Roger Moore as Bond. I'm sorry we're focusing on Bond, but that's just the way we are. My opinion of his films has changed. You know, I, oh, yeah. I lo- loved them as a kid. Then as like in my 20s, kind of said, yeah, but they were just all ridiculous and silly. And now, and more recently, it's like, yeah, it's weird because a lot of people have said, can we now all finally admit that he was the best Bond? Well, that was, because that was the Daily Mash. It was the Daily Mash who yeah. said that. And in a way, when I sit there and think about it, it's like, yeah, Love him or hate him, the original Sean Connery, yes, obviously he is the best because it was the first, it was the most original, but he didn't make as many films. And when we grew up, we grew up with Roger Moore. He had the gadgets, he had the the music. And when we were getting into Bond, us personally, yeah. it was he was Bond. So, well, and that's it. With the, as we've touched on, the Bonds reflect what's you know uh, happening in society at the time, and films at the time, and they sort of move with those times and. 
the most recent, you know, the Daniel Craig films are getting a lot of stick for being a sort of, you know, a clone of the Bourne films yeah. and that gritty sort of... Reactive. Yeah, anyway. they're, they're very reactive, yes. That's, that's a good way of putting it. And I don't think a lot of the blame for those films, they are very, the Roger Moore films are very much an era of that sort of people wanted light entertainment. They wanted tongue in cheek. I can't think of other action films around the time that were bettering Bond. He was, they were riding high for a reason. Nobody else was giving the exotic locations, the great cars, the good looking girls, the stunts, the stunts, Mm. the ridiculous plots, the villains. So nobody else was doing it. We we now live in a very different world. The cold war was, you know, teetering out sort of thing so they still found a way to to give it credence and you know making just him as a character roger moore what made him love us so, uh, love him so much is when he came out and said about i always used to think that connery was the best bond but recently i have to say it's daniel craig you know mm. that is someone who is he's like come on you know yeah. i did what i did but from a theatrical point of view connery was the best oh, and, and craig has inhibited him you know just as yeah. well or as he said uh, Sean was the killer, I was the lover. Um, so Roger, we, we salute you. Um, Indeed You've we been do. such a large uh, part of our lives. I don't think there is any other franchise that I've invested movie, movie watching hours with and you, you will never be forgotten. Yeah, I think um, obviously there's been some some other terrible news this week uh, with what happened in Manchester, and I think it was the same day. But um, so yeah, it was a rotten day for news, but it really did for me. It felt like uh, almost losing like a an old a, chum, a, a, well, a, a a grandfather, a a fond uncle. Um, but yes, uh, I think the, the the magic of cinema will will always have. He'll live on forever. Yes, we'll, and we'll always always be able to spend a bank holiday afternoon or evening with Sir Roger Moore. And on that note, we're going to leave you, and we're going to get ourselves um, a nice little drink and sit down and watch the Spy Love Me, aren't we? Yeah, we are indeed, and to, to a salute to. Uh, one of uh, our favourite bonds. Yeah. So thanks for listening. We will be back as usual with the episodes. Keep watching. If you've got any uh, thoughts, uh, you know, please, you know, about Fa- Roger. Roger favourite more moments. Yeah, favourite more moments. Get us on our blog or on our Facebook page or on Twitter. You know, it's important to us and I'm sure it's important to a lot of you. So thanks for listening and uh, we'll, we'll catch you on our next proper episode, uh, which is going to be The Goonies. Excellent. Looking forward to that. Richard Donner classic. Thanks for your time. So that was part one of our tribute to Sir Roger Moore. Part two will be available next week and will feature an exclusive interview with Mark O'Connell, hosted by Retro Ramble's very own George McGee. As we mentioned earlier, Mark is the author of the highly acclaimed novel Catching Bullets, Memoirs of a Bond Fan. It's a must-read for any serious Bond fan anyway. Very funny as well. In the interview, George talks to Mark about what goes on behind the scenes of a Bond film, what it was like to meet Sir Roger, and where he sees the franchise going next being a member of the eon family himself so that's part two an interview with mark o'connell available on retroramble.blog itunes youtube and all the other channels probably by next week until then thanks for listening and see you next time bye bye